Welcome to Inside Shopify UX. I'm your host, Lalaya Layo Pearson, UX Director at Shopify. On today's episode, I speak with founder and CEO of Shopify, Toby Looker. We'll reminisce about some of Shopify's previous designs, chat about the value of design systems, and of course, play a game of Kiss, Marry, Kill. Let's get into it. I am absolutely delighted to have Toby Looker on the show today for us to talk about all things UX, and I have been promised strong opinions and things mm-hmm. that all definitely make the discussion interesting. So I'm going to poke for all of those things. Uh, thank you so much for being here, Toby. Thanks so much for having me. I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. Cool. So I want to go straight in with like a question that's just good framing, because I, I think like your external brand is very much like the developer CEO, like getting into all the code. But you're also very opinionated about user experience and design. So like frame that for the audience. Like what is your ethos and philosophy around user experience? Yeah, that's a, I mean, that's a big, that's a big topic. So like maybe, so absolutely, like I'm uh, in in terms of my skill set, I'm engineer. I'm uh, I'm extremely bad at designing things. Um, uh, like uh, I, I have some fun stories about early Shopify days that uh, might be even illustrate this. Um, but um, I, uh, I, I'm a. I mean, I partly have been around like the, the internet long enough. Like it used to be that um, one person actually kind of did everything, right? Like that's that's sort of I guess yeah. where we started. And um, the full stack web developer that just did absolutely everything. It, it was it was. Um, yeah, and it's interesting, right? Like even, I mean, there was no such term, right? It was just like you did things on the internet. And, and so that involved, um, you know, reasoning uh, around network protocols, uh, you know, deterministic um, uh, stacks, and of course, engineering. But um, you did all of this for, for, for a very particular purpose, which was um, so that, uh, you know, people would get software of one way or another. And in, in, especially in the early sort of, ni- like in the in the 90s or actually I, I, I'm sort of trying to, I, I heard someone frame the 90s as uh, the late 2000s. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or the early 2000s. No, the, 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 yeah. The late twenty first century, twentieth uh, century, or something like this. Okay, uh, there's that's, a funnier framing feel about very this. Old. Yeah, 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 yeah. Old. Yeah, I'm not okay with that framing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. So, <laughs> cut, cut this off. But like, uh, yeah. um, but, uh, but but I, I think it's it's worthwhile to make it like sound further away because it really is further away. Like back then, like every time someone built something, it was basically the first time people got something. And um, uh, so, but you built for people, right? And so I have always, uh, you know, I grew up in Germany, which is um, uh, my my experience is like my, my parents also are not people who can design things. Um, uh, but like the nice thing about growing up in Germany in the you know eighties and nineties is that the sort of products that um, uh, people just had in their houses were like largely designed by I mean Dieter Rams and others, right? Like yeah. the, the nice yeah. thing is you you go in a museum now and 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 see these exhibits and. That's actually like what a living room in Europe looked like during those times. So there was a uh, it, it was a time um, of uh, you know terrible haircuts, but also a really 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 good product design. Uh, you know there was a, there's there's a sort of materiality to these things which is uh, powerful, and so you you are surrounded by this. And then 
you know, I encountered like computers and like you, you wrote some basic and wrote some code, but um, uh, clearly not the same kind of thought went into this. It was clear that there was potential to bring these principles to, to into this world, but that hasn't happened. And, um, you know, like, I, I guess um, with not wanting to like spend too much time on this, I, I, I'm, I consider myself sort of a Toronto Raptors super fan of UX. <laughs> it's like it's 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 like I I I I jump around and I see something amazing uh, because I I find every time it is it is such an incredible discipline because um, uh, the the most powerful thing in the, uh, that that we've been working on I think in the, you know in the last probably half century is uh, the world of com computing and software but none of it can be utilized to the benefits of people without actually making it sensible and approachable. And so it, the entire point is um, to make great UX. It supports that because you want to give people amazing abilities. I, I absolutely believe that fundamentally. It's like the tech should be designed around people, not for the tech's sake. But UX does have this huge spectrum, right? So like one of the successful things we've done as a discipline is we've professionalized Right. Mm -hmm. So we've created it and we've made it a craft. We've made it so that there are qualifications, there are specific skill sets that you need. But then there's this kind of other end of it, which is still kind of like creative and subjective. Right. So you, you were talking about essentially mm -hmm. like Bauhaus design principles, which a lot of people love. And there's a lot of great deconstruction of it. But it's also like quite stark style and quite stark taste. Yeah. And there are entire cultures that absolutely would hate that because it feels flat and so there's this creative layer so it's I'm interested in like how you've kind of seen that through Shopify like how are we balancing because we've had people on the episode talking about hydrogen and dev docs and how opinionated and bold and specific the taste and the style that we've gone through is there but still this kind of very functional and purposefully designed um surfaces so how have you how do you rationalize those two things of like designing for the user, but also having like a strong opinion that means somebody's not going to like it, right? Yeah, I think um, there's a couple of different ways to get at this, but um, uh, I, I I think, the, I mean, fun is one of those things. Like, I think this is sort of a general criticism of Bauhaus. It's like, it's so... I like to figure out what's behind things. So so I, I, I love... Um, I, I love a story behind the object, usually a lot more than the object, right? Um, like how is the thing a product of deep thought? Um, and if so, I think then it's, an, it's something that should be judged as such. And I, I, you know, I think then there is sort of a subjective layer of, okay, well, what, you know, what does it look like, which is, I mean, highly uh, like, uh, and then how does it work? Is it a pro like, is, is it intuitive? Does it, does, does it do the job well? And you have to kind of put them all together. And I think people sometimes end up, uh, um, a little bit over emphasizing the sort of how the quantifiable, like, uh, the highly utilitarian is, uh, is a very reductionist, uh, way of looking at things. And so I think, um, it's it, utilitarian, like pure utilitarianism is not, uh, you know, something my countrymen uh, tend, tend to be like good at. Um, um, but I, 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 even there, I would point out that like, I, I mean, the, the big, biggest exports of the German economy certainly are the cars. And I, I, I do think they are 
very good examples of things that are not purely utilitarian. Like I, I think logistically from A to B, like you can you can get everywhere pretty a lot cheaper. There's a lot of emotion underneath this, and I think the reason why was was like the cars that we are now all kind of picturing in our minds, why they do so well is because um, everyone who works on them knows this. This is not people cosplaying uh, car builders. This is this is people who have a extraordinarily strong sense of who they are building for, and they are they are they tend to be okay with not building for everyone. And I think this is one of those key things which is just hugely important. I mean, I'm sure this is a topic that comes up over and over and over again. Yeah. I I I I'm remembering I'm. I've actually been looking for it. This is an essay which must be 15 years old. It was written by Kathy Sierra. And I, I like, given the time, I, I forgot the name. But basically, it, it made a point which I think now is um, maybe better understood, but, like, was very new to me when, when, when I came across um, for the first time. But what she said is, she, she basically shortened diagram where, like, there was, like, love and hate on, on, on both the sides. And it's sort of illustrated over the top that um, uh, uh, there's like a green zone close to both those things. And then there is a very large piece in the middle called irrelevance. And I think I, I, this is certainly one of our spiky opinions, which, you know, very sensibly people would take another side on. But I do believe that. I think if you, want, if you make something that anyone loves, people... Some people will also hate it. And I think actually the absence of someone hating it is actually a sign that the thing you did might be somewhere in the middle and not fully committed uh, to, to, to a particular vision. Yeah, and I think this is, this is a philosophy that I like to walk the line of, which is it's okay for someone to not like something as long as we're not getting in their way. If they had to use it, it still works and it works really well. But you can have opinions about how something looks all day, every day. Um, and I, I I, personally really like pushing some of the work that we do at Shopify to not do, like I, uh, one of the things I was saying to my team is like, I care less about consistency than maybe I should as like mm-hmm. head of UX because it just, consistency assumes norming. And I'm kind of thinking that norming is a bit boring, number one. Like I don't want to work on stuff that has already been defined. Uh, it's also not why I came to Shopify. But it also it also means that we're not creatively expanding, right? Like we're not trying new things. We're not building and creating new paradigms and trying to like just extend the possibility. Um, but it does connect to something maybe more practical, which is the fact that we are seen in the world as being like um, innovators in design systems because of how robust Polaris is and how mm-hmm. powerful it is and the fact that you know, there's a bunch of places you can go on the internet that look very Shopify because they basically just borrowed Polaris. And that's a good thing. But is it a burden for us? I mean, I'm asking that because I think it is, but I'm interested mm-hmm. in your framing on that. Uh, so, um, so here's the, f- it, it, this, again, Let's unpack this. So um, okay. <laughs> everything is a mixed bag, right? Like, uh, I mean, yeah. there is no free lunch, right? Like every every no. time you do something, you you also say no to something else and you have to be okay with that. Yeah. Um, the, the, like Shopify is very, very big software, very like, wide. I just checked. I think it's like um, something like two and a half million lines of code in TypeScript just for the UX, right? Like it's just like, it's uh, so 
Um, the, the scale <laughs> is sometimes nut. just like, yeah. absolutely crazy. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so uh, we get an incredible amount of value uh, out of a design system. And in, at, at, at the size, uh, like the, the width of Shopify and all the screens it has, um, and, and, and um, the teams and the way, like, um, the design system does something incredibly important, which is that we can um, put centrally a system together that then makes it easy for everyone to like succeed, uh, like to, 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 to it, it. What it does is it raises the floor a lot. And this, this sounds like, um, this sounds like downtime, uh, downside protection, but it actually, it's, it's incredible. Like for instance, when I, when, when, when I open VS code into uh, uh, like an admin like project, um, even with my sort of programmer art kind of thing, I, I can actually do something that people can then reason about uh, if this is valuable to use. And that's, that's incredible. So design systems are incredible at uh, uh, raising floor. So where they can be problematic is if they lower the ceiling. And I think this, is, this is, um, goes right back into this conversation about how thoughtful are people uh, when they build something, right? Like that, that we had earlier. Um, I, uh, especially when um, uh, design systems exist, they feel like a set of constraints, um, uh, even though they aren't. Like, and um, so, so this is a fine line, and actually a line that uh, requires constant adjustment in, in, in inside a company. And it, it's actually not a line that comes from restrictions in code. It actually, it's, 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 a, it's a cultural thing. It's like, what do you believe um, uh, this system should do for, for, for you? Is it, again, is it, does it help you get started? Um, or uh, is it a, a set of, like that pushes conformity and uh, uh, sameness? And in, in it, it certainly looks like that's what a design system would do and, and making it not do that is like, a, a, you know, it's, it's a constant conversation that I, I, I see teams having. And uh, I think this works well if you, like if, if 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 you build your own design system, because then you have all the people who are who understand the reason why it exists there. Yeah. If you just adopt a design system from some other place, I think without understanding how uh, complicated this sort of cultural conversation can be, uh, it, it might end up restricting you quite a bit. Yeah, and I, I think we had a great conversation with Roy and Yesenia on one of the episodes, and that was part of the conversation, right? It's like this this idea of the ceiling going up and then the floor going up is like the design system helps us be mostly good. And a lot of things that you would otherwise have to think about are kind of taken care of. But then there's this other thing, which is like, well, how high is the ceiling, right? And mm -hmm. how creative can you still be even when you use that? And I, I think it's an interesting tension. And, and certainly like my push at the moment is sometimes start the Figma file without the UI kit. <gasps> blank sheet of paper like just just do something that doesn't feel like anything else yet because we can always pull it back but start with like a what if kind of question in your mind and even given the breadth of like some of the solutions we're designing like in my world we're building financial products uh the what if is not a shopify competitor it's a financial product that exists in the world and so like even just starting from a blank sheet of paper and say how do i solve this problem and then I can work back, how does this problem fit inside Shopify later? But it is something that I think we have to keep pushing at that door, that we're okay with possibility exploration and like 
And this is touching on the next subject because this is mm-hmm. this is going to the sometimes part of that work means coming up with wild shit that is not buildable. <laughs> totally. And you said you said something to me in, in in the chat. You talked about the dribbleification of design, where like things are designed without hard constraints. And I feel like sometimes you should do that as a designer. Sometimes creatives need to let loose and shake off a boundary and do something that is way out there just to pull some good ideas into practical land. But I guess if you spend all your time on dribble, you're probably getting way too much of that and not enough of the practical experience, which is where designers get a little bit stuck. Um, So unpack that for me. What is that dribblification (laughs) of design, as you call it? Okay, so this is something um, that my co-founder, Daniel, who you should have on the show as well, um, uh, said a lot. Um, uh, The... If you, I mean, what, what, what you said often is like, if you take 10 random people off the street and you ask them all for your favorite color and you would then uh, sort of do an alpha blend on, on, on those colors, you would end up with mud brownish no one likes, which yeah, again, it's, we will <laughs> always end up coming to the same topic. I think what, yeah. um, which is uh, unfortunate because what you really should do is because every one of the individual colors that anyone picked would actually be a good solve where the blend isn't. So it, this is another w- for a way to come at uh, like consensus decision making is in a way of making great things. Like at some point, you have to. I I I think the best projects, even though maybe not everyone is conscious of this, almost create a um, a little bit of a uh, sort of democratic uh, uh, like uh, challenge to everyone. It's like about who cares most or who has the best sense for the constraints and possibilities and the highest ceiling and then creates a, a, a thing that just kind of is like everyone looks at this and says okay that's the way to go right like that's I, I've seen a, like and, and then um, everyone says okay I'm going to support you on your vision with everything else I got like it like the best pro, uh, teams tend to resemble almost um, uh, uh like jazz bands a little bit more than 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 um, uh, like other analogies is where like one person is like the it's, it's it's like sets the key and the pace and then everyone else brings like everything they know about the instrument in it and that's actually fluid and changes depending on the style of music that's coming, but like it's 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 very fluid and in, in, in improv and I I love that process I want I think um, I think constraints can be good if they facilitate more of that creativity to happen. Um, because for instance, like again, back to the jazz uh, analogy here, um, a constraint that exists in there is like, everyone says, hey, that, from that time to that time, we're gonna yeah. play music. That's that's a constraint. Like uh, yeah. people don't think about it so as much such. time. Yeah, mm-hmm. or so many players in the band. Exactly, mm-hmm. and so 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 anyway, you, um, what am I saying? Um, I'm saying like, Here's the problem with dribbleification, as I see it. I'm not actually, I'm not making a statement about dribble being bad. What I'm saying is like, it's, it's, you, you end up in a popularity contest, but popularity contest will always be won by the thing that is least objectionable. Um, because again, um, it's always going to be a much smaller group of people who love something. And then there's, it's usually counterbalanced by someone who hates and uh, hates it, and that gets you hard, like a middling score. Again, if you blend everyone's like, get the thing that no one hates, but more than 50% would like, it ends up doing better in design contests um, 
uh, that are popularity contests. And, and the problem is, if, especially if then you spend a lot of your sort of creative output um, making things and posting them, you end up, uh, you, you will eventually like work towards an audience, but you will learn about what good looks like from a uh, undifferentiated creative, um, creative uh, um, like, like, a, like popularity contest rather than honing your own standards. And I think this is important. Um, uh, like people need to understand what, what, what great lo work looks like for themselves. I, I think it's, it's very, very good to, like uh, this is something I've always pushed with all the engineers I ever worked with. And it's something that we use a lot um, uh, in, in, in Shopify. And, uh, you know, like I actually learned a lot from the world of UX and jazz, as I just said. Um, I think one thing which really helps in the UX world is also learning engineering principle because every discipline is figuring out a lot of important things which then become relevant to everyone. Um, so one thing I always pushed and it always horrifies people is deleting code. Like um, the uh, many very important features in Shopify. Breaking things, I, basically. <laughs> yes, and, and well, not, not just like subtracting things, but actually like we, when we net new features we developed, in such a yeah. way that we said, this feature, the way we build this is we're going to start every single day from nothing. And yeah. um, we ship it the day where the entire feature is going to be implementable in 24 hours uh, or in, in a single workday. And this sounds, this sounds surprising that this is an approach, but it led to probably some of the best code we've ever written. Um, and we worked as uh, a pair programming um, uh, on, on these kind of things. And we kept the unit tests. Um, but yeah. uh, the... the the point of this was the following. Almost all of programming is not actually writing code, right? It's, it's what you actually do is you're building a model of a solution. Like how yeah. can I, like you, you, you're actually exploring the problem set deeply by uh, trying to reflect it as a model in, in, in code and then I, as an idea about UX and so on. And um, so 90% of the work on a project is actually this building up of your mental model, uh, using your creativity to find novel solutions to the same problem. Yeah. And uh, I think that's where, like, UX is, is, is that too. In fact, it's actually kind of better in the form that your deliverable at the end of the day is something that everyone can reason about rather than just other engineers. And I think it, it helps everyone. It is. I think the thing that I would add to that is that, like, the biggest difference for me between, say, like, 2000s UX and say like the 10s and now we're entering into like the I don't know what we're calling them the 20s again <laughs> is how you marry up something that looks good with something that works really well and so for me like the analogy that I like to use is imagine like fashion houses your average person is not going to go to a couture fashion show but that couture fashion show and those highly opinionated super random designs inspire in-house designers mm -hmm. in Zara and H&M and like other brands and they cultivate ideas that become you know part of like clothes we wear every day and they're very useful and they're you know ready to wear type stuff but the the people who keep pushing the edges actually drag the rest of us with them as well so it's like totally. in UX it's making space for yes know what you're building yes know how it's been built and, and actually even taking constraints from the engineering right so like things like motion studies and um you know looking at key interactions and stuff like that but also giving yourself space to sometimes be like a couture a couture season or something like that anyway so like a couture season and just be like at sometimes I'm going to do like a runway show of just wild ideas and that's probably going to trigger a bunch of small 
improvements or ideas and creative in, in lots of other places that, you know, people can pick up and, and build from in the depths of constrained land, you know? I totally agree. I, 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 I love this. I, I, I find it's super important to just explore. Like, I, I, I mean, again, I, I, the way I've always done this, and this might be not relevant, is like, is, is always by setting constraints, like, uh, like for instance, time limits. And, um, um, uh, you know, like today I work only by using, I don't know, like uh, my um, uh, mouse with my left hand or something like this. That sounds like a silly idea, but like it's just like it's it's interesting how that changes things. And you actually might end up winding getting some winding up with some empathy for um, like it's actually uh, my guitar teacher told me once uh, when I was complaining about lack of progress. It's like he just asked me, "Hey, turn around the guitar, like play, like just play the fretboard with the other side." And then that was like terrible. And and he said, "Okay, so did that feel harder to do than what you're doing?" Um, and I said, "Yes." And he said, "Well." That's like that's exactly what it felt like the first time you picked up a guitar. So like, stop complaining about lack of progress, right? So and it's You're doing it's, it's these kind thought. of things exactly. Yeah. It's these kind of things that are just really, really useful. But then also like you know just do something completely different, right? Like yeah. um, uh, and and again, every single time you do, you, you you will come back from that particular journey with something that like the universe always conspires to make make whatever you explored useful magically on in the next project <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes. exactly you will learn hard and then you'll fold it in so maybe on that question um what is something maybe in like the how what is our age because i see different things sometimes i see that we're 15 sometimes we're 17 but like shopify is like 17 years old or something right yes yeah okay. yeah it depends on we launched it 15 years ago and it started uh, as a snowboard shop uh, 17 years ago okay yes. 17 years ago okay so in the 15 years of official shopify what are some of the most spectacularly badly designed things that we, you know, shipped well-intentioned, but like in hindsight, you're just like, Ugh, either that didn't work or that was ugly AF and like, why did we do it? Oh, I mean, lots of things come to mind. I mean, if you go in a Wayback Machine to the first shopify.com, it's rough. <laughs> well, so you did this, right? You you restored it the other day and I was looking, uh, you did had that project internally of like an old version of Shopify and I was like, oh, okay, this is super interesting, really cool to see, but also like, woof. Yes, exactly. <laughs> no, to, to be fair, like sometimes you we look at these uh, through the Wayback Machine on things and um uh, we, we we need to remind ourselves that we now have uh, high DPI displays that didn't exist back then. Yes. So like uh, you know the, the horrible looking that, images. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, but um, uh, you know like so so yes we have like uh, we, we internally bootstrapped the Shopify Museum which sort of implements like just, just is a version of Shopify as it was in the various years leading up to yeah. now, um, which is a very cool exercise because what you see is um, a, a lot of a, I mean a lot of a, a lot of the bones are there. Like it's 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 um, yeah. um, this is a really important, especially in this context here. Um, Shopify fundamentally is uh, a is a very 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 successful company now that's got uh, launched based on UX, right? Like it's 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 like I I I I'm an engineer, but it, engineering was not the killer feature here. Shopify was not the first e-commerce software, um, uh, and um, uh, it it was the engineering side of a house kind of came to the task bringing what it's it had and and and, yeah. and 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 that was enough, but the new thing the unlock was it was the first e-commerce software that was actually designed for like 
new brands to actually directly start. Like everything else in the industry before was to port existing businesses because that's where yeah, the money like was, B2B which B2B makes sense. Products. Yeah, exactly. And uh, try to get the existing retailers. And we like because we were kind of building this for ourselves, and we were like net like we we wanted to start on it and not start like a retail business first. Um, and uh, that just kind of was a different set of constraints because suddenly we said, okay, well, we have to make something that's approachable to the people who are, want to like reach for independence during the lunch break. Like the people were thinking about a plan B for their... Um, uh, the side hustle, like, uh, special, you know, dream exactly. thing. Yeah. Exactly. And, and so um, that is like we were forged in these fires um, because that is like completely so 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 our our users very different to everyone else were people who didn't know a lot about retail didn't have a lot of time didn't have uh, uh like no money either mm -hmm. um which you know some vcs argued would make this a bad business um and uh you know like but but that doesn't matter because that was a mission right we, we were building for them um yeah and 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 this meant that we would have to make something approachable, which was extraordinarily difficult to do at the time, especially at yeah. those times before you, we got all the goodies, which we got since. So, yes. um, that so that was a ticket. Yes. So, so that, 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 that was the, that's what we launched against. Like that, the product was, um, taking insane, um, existing capabilities of a vo global world of, uh, supply chains and retail, uh, with all its, uh, warehouse rotation centers, uh, um, uh, ships, containers, and, and all these things, um, and, and, and making all that addressable through first software, model mm -hmm. that, and then mm -hmm. put an approachable UX on top of all this insanity that yeah. someone can use to run a side hustle for them. And that's, so it is a UX job, the whole company yeah. is. So I think this is why this has been such primary uh, um such a primary thing and um this is also i think why we feel a little bit like um i, I like I, I would like to think of shopify as uh being as intentional uh, about this like we, we we've been at the forefront of like when i am uh, people are making fun of web 2.0 now but at some point that was basically what web 3 is now and so like yeah, uh, exactly. it, it certainly was the place where like a lot of people brainstormed about hey how should we how do internet how does internet software looks like um, and, yeah. and how to make it better yeah and uh so so we were part of that mix and so i think we should continue holding on to the standards of pushing this forward because the web browser is an amazing thing that would never be allowed into anyone's app store ever again and uh you know so making uh making the best use of it is very important so you've kind of avoided my question though and you said you had a bunch <laughs> of examples of things that we didn't okay. do very well so shopify.com Shopify.com yeah. Wayback Machine is super embarrassing. I, 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 well, let's okay. see. Um, like, uh, I mean, my business cards were terrible. I found some recently. It's like horrible. I, I just, I mean, there's like some really dodgily designed things. To, like, here's what we did before design systems existed and the floor yeah. was easy to bring up. And, yeah. and this is like not a word of a lie. This is how it worked. And it's maybe like, uh, uh, like um, at some point, Daniel asked me to just stop cosplaying being a UX person or designer and 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 so like that he, he would like just make everything look good and um I should just do the programming and oh, so um, he kept you so, away from the yeah, design yeah, side. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so so um uh uh but then 
I needed to hold him to like actually making things good before they go out for shipping. And there's been actually some spectacular failures along both lines as well. But so <laughs> where we ended up, um, uh, we, we agreed to do the following. Um, there was a CSS class in our CSS files called, I think it was called eye cancer, <laughs> which is absolutely terrible and okay, uh, should never be used as a term. Okay. Yes. It was pink and, and padding <laughs> of like, uh, like, like, 50 and like a blue border oh my and God. Um, it sounds and amazing yes uh, so so basically <laughs> i was supposed to put eye cancer on everything i'm doing and then daniel would get uh, like a like a message immediately and uh, knew what he would have to do before something went out to production so this is, this, then, is a, this is like a tag on toby's stuff yes. so that it did not ship before it was actually designed yeah before the days of code reviews and pull requests and all these kind okay. of things we didn't have uh, so uh, that was a way we worked together I quite like the idea of you doing rogue design shit and like sneaking it into production and having someone else come down on you and be like, what the hell have you done? Um, I, there was a famous case of uh, me shipping something that still involved, uh, like, uh, sadly, exactly this particular uh, CSS class um, and then having to run to the airport and being on a flight to um, uh, uh, like Europe. And um, uh two things happened during this time. A, there was like a, a, a downtime issue and there was production code, which, um, um, uh, you know, involved that. And then so both of those things, because I somehow needed to ship to production before going to the airport. And then there was a bit of a family intervention in early Shopify with uh, <laughs> shipping to production. Um, anyway, good stuff, good times. Keeping Toby away from design. Because, okay, because in today's era, you do not stay away from design. Like, you're in our UX channels. You give a ton of really good feedback. Sometimes it's a bit like, Toby hates it. And people are like, oof, what do we do? Like, so how, how do you kind of rationalize that old involvement in UX where you kind of had Daniel as your buffer to, like, today's model, we've got well, hundreds of UX people across the company uh, doing a bunch of different things. But, like, you are very, very present, like, sometimes in our creative work and shaping what goes out like would we be able to ship something that you didn't like but you felt like it did the job really well sure absolutely um okay it's um uh i um i i don't, I don't think i hold this um i i don't think my involvement is uh that much on taste and aesthetics it's up on the um uh the consideration that went into it usually right like it's like does, is everyone because like, I, you know, one thing, you know, I have two advantages. Uh, uh, like, I mean, I generally have fairly high standards, in, like for myself and uh, for the company, which is useful. Um, uh, oh, you know, well, lots of people have that. And uh, um, uh, so that's not my main uh, contribution. My main contribution is I've seen, uh, uniquely, I've seen all 17 years of this company. And, and so I, I, I know the conversations leading up to the conversations. Um, and I... Um, uh, so I can help like discover what's behind things and I can, um, I know the merchants really well. I, I, I know, um, I've, I've talked with thousands and tens of thousands of them over the years. I, I, I know what they tell me about the early days. I have empathy because I sell myself. I'm a user of Shopify. So I, so I have that perspective. So, so the thing I tend to spend, uh, like give more feedback on is then, um, I see like a category error around um, the the empathy and mental state that the users might be in. Like, I mean, you, you're talking about building financial products, um, which is like, so this is like very, very, very common in, in your space. But you like, 
when when you're building a user interface, you're building not just for like a um, you know, sometimes there's these baseball cards of people and, and some of them have a lot of context, but some of them, like often they talk a little bit more about socioeconomic uh, things rather than actually what are they trying to do, right? Like what's the job to be done? And especially around finance, like the amount of like anxiety is massive, right? Like it's like, um, like where you meet people is like, it needs to be clear to everyone who's designing the interface because um, I mean, I, I just even today I had we had a conversation um, in a, in, a, in another forum about we were talking about charts, and I, I, I'm trying to poke holes into people's use of red in 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 in, in um, the color red. Like color red is wonderful in the context of destructive operations. I think then it's like that's exactly where people actually should um, worry about. But like if if it's like Hey, we are like in a week after we're recording this in a week after Black uh, Black Friday, Cyber Monday. So, so basically, there's millions of um, Shopify stores now, right now, which have a week over week um, uh, 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 growth number, which is probably a reduction. And that is not, hey, stop what you're doing and pay attention to this number. That is just simply an occurrence. That has to do with um, the, the, the business. So, like empathetically, we are suggesting to people that they should be worried about something when they shouldn't. So like, anyway, this is a very long, this is a random example of the kind of discussions I have with people because I'm trying to say is that should probably be gray because it's expected. Green yeah. is notable yeah. because something yeah. happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, I mean, colorblindness allowing. I think what I'm hearing yeah, is yeah, of course. the pattern, the pattern, like what is the pattern that's been communicated yeah. here? It's like, should you should you be worried about the thing that you're seeing? Are you supposed to take action on it? Or not, and like I, I think also speaking to the type of person we're helping on Shopify, we're not assuming a level of business now, so just like literacy and finance and retail operations. That means that they look at these things and just get it straight away. You kind of have to just provide a little bit more of a, a step, right, to to get them totally. to a healthier space. So I get that. Okay, we're almost at time, but I wanna, I wanna do. I want to do one crazy thing with you, Toby, because you're 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 on Twitter a lot. You talk about Discord and Reddit. Um, kiss, marry, kill. Twitter, Discord, Reddit. Kiss, marry, kill. Yeah, this is the kind of CEO friendly version that's not using a swear word, but you know what I mean. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. So sorry, I I, I need to reason for this like you're giving me three things and i'm supposed to do three different things and i need to, yeah, this yeah. is like an exclusive set right like okay so you're not like, playing I, I, I think I, I think i need a set solver for this this is complicated okay no no but this is okay so this is a great game i just did it at a burst last week and totally freaked my team out but it, it is like forcing you into a binary decision about each product which one would you kiss so essentially which one is kind of like the fleeting mm -hmm. fancy which one are you staying with in a long-term relationship in a sort of marriage which one are you killing and it's just a great way to draw out like how you're seeing these different services and the purpose that they serve for you. Because you're you're very active on all of them. And I think people can find you in a bunch of places mm. having various chats. Uh, so I'm just interested in how you see it. Super. Uh, and, and it's, sorry, it was, it was Discord, Twitter and? Reddit. Reddit. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 okay, I, I would, hmm. <laughs> I, I mean, okay, I, I'd kill Twitter because Twitter okay. is uh, uh, like just like I have the strongest emotion to um, uh, yeah. like here. Tends to bring um, out the strongest emotions in other people too, yeah. Yeah, I, 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 
I'd marry Reddit just because of her like wonderful frivolousness and crazy. That's I mean there, but honestly, here's the thing: like like yeah. these are like Rorschach tests, right? Like it's like my like my filter bubble on Reddit is just very different from my filter bubble on Twitter. Okay. I I think I think I think uh, Discord is. I can't decide if Discord is great UX or not. It's like this sort of hot mess that somehow always has these moments of delight in it. Uh, you yeah. know, like it's just kind of, um, yeah. so maybe, maybe that's how I sort out, but that's complicated. <laughs> so, I mean, the thing, so for me, my, my answer to that is I would also kill Twitter just because it doesn't seem to lend itself to, it has this impermanence yeah. where people kind of basically shit statements and then run off and create controversy and it's not a big deal. I'd probably kiss Reddit just because I feel like it's great, but it's also so it's it I, f I find it's kind of like the precursor to what discord is which is yeah much more community oriented deeper conversations higher quality sources like if i get something from discord i feel like i could probably trust it a bit more than reddit and a heck of a lot more than anything i got of twitter so you kind of have this yeah you know this variance there and and the design i mean to speak to the design of the three twitter is probably the friendliest in terms of the user experience but I have found that Discord and Reddit have been highly intuitive. And that's mm -hmm. something that like my holy grail of design is you look at it and you can have all sorts of opinions, but everything you think you want to do is extremely intuitive. And so you're basically learning with every single click, every single action does exactly what you expect. And I kind of feel like Discord is nailing that. Um, Reddit definitely is that, but Discord is nailing that. I, I totally agree. I, I, I think like, what this particular, I, I tend to call this approachability, but that's probably not the right term. It's there's, a, there's this sort of unfolding appropriateness of, 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 a, of a UX that just kind of works in a way that's like, it just feels empowering. It's, it's, and, and, you know, I, I talk a lot about, I think the goal of, uh, um, but I think the goal of uh, a particular user interface should be to delight. Um, and delight is always, is, 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 co comes from... It's a controversial term in UX these days, you know. People are really wary of Oh, why is delight. that? Uh, because it, it, it speaks to, like, frivolous. Like, does it actually drive purposeful? And if you start with delight, are you actually problem-solving first? But I, I hear what you're saying about delight being a part of how the experience is delivered. I, I think it depends on where you put delight. Like if, if, if you, yeah. if you make delight and I mean, I, I would say like, I, I would only get into delight after the utilitarian values are done. And, and, and after the thing is like easy to reason about, like, I think this is exactly where like, like delight in, in, in the discord sense comes from, uh, the, the, when you type a word that maybe you could use an emoji for when it's instead of putting some auto suggest thing it like it animates a little icon in yeah. the bar and you clicks and it's it's like an it, it's like it does the right thing but it over delivers this is like i think the light i mean the, i mean i might use this differently than what people want to currently not have in terms of light but like to me it's like it's just like you take the actual experience um uh you, you take your expectations uh, and then minus the experience or like do it the other way around just to have a positive number and whatever the difference is 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 is, is the delight factor it, it's an outperformance it's 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 almost like a display of mastery over the uh task 
that can that can only be achieved by the teams that so fully understood it that they ended up um, being able to spend the little bit of extra thing just to outperform what even reason like reasonably uh, uh, well versed people in the tool would ever expect of the team. So yeah, it, it like also that. makes me. It, it it's great, but it also makes me think of the Kano model. I don't know if you're familiar with that. So the no. so the Kano model is like this old manufacturing concept of like uh, there's exceeding expectations, meeting expectations, and then under delivering on expectations. And over time, the things that exceed will eventually become the expectation, and then the mm -hmm. things that are the expectation will eventually go below. And so it pushes you to say like if you're reaching for the top, you're actually having to fight to stay there because you should be. Yeah. continuous improvement mindset about like what is an expectation and what's that other level that you're going to go to because today's expectations are tomorrow's like whatever kind of thing you know yeah yeah it's funny because this is a concept that actually like so clearly comes from out of manufacturing but people have been uh, like the philosophers have been talking about this for like yeah thousands exactly. of years right like i mean you you encounter this in, in even just sort of like life experience uh, under the term of a hedonistic treadmill right like people yeah. just norm it normalizes it to what your, to your ambient experiences yeah. yeah and um uh like so so i i mean i think this is a very real thing um like this is a very interesting thing about standing up this sort of shopify museum like like this what was like killer UX in 2006 um, uh, uh, is like hilariously like like the, the entropic like damage that has been caused there is like incredible right like it's no uh, and um, it that's just a sign for that our standards have evolved with again the people just uh, uh, you know moving forward um, and uh, you know I mean this is like an entire other conversation about what you know. I, I, so by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm reverse engineering why I think delight is actually ought to probably be treated with contempt um, here because um, I, 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 I think stated outside of the context of that it's something like it is something that cherry on top after everything like it's the finding like after you found the Venn diagram of all the stakeholder requirements of the interface, finding the perfect spot in it is like the delight thing. But if, if that's not clear then uh, people might over-optimize for, 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 for appearance potentially, or more importantly, um, uh, go into the biggest trap of all, which is like wanting perfection, right? This is where everything goes wrong because again, the, um, like, even, if you ever, even if you try to hold yourself to perfection and even if you actually ship something so far ahead of whatever everyone else is like, this very thing about the hedonistic treadmill of design on the yeah. internet will outpace you so much because it's everyone else faster. is going to be faster. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Thank you so much, Toby. Okay. Last, last thing gimmick for the episode. So we've got here a, a chatter box, which I hope you can see. We have yes. four options. Do you remember these games? Did you play it as a kid? Uh, vaguely. Vaguely. I don't, I, I, I know the shape. I don't, I've never so played a game with a shape. It's kind of, there are questions in here. There are one of eight questions and we're just going to play, we're going to play it. So first okay. I need you to pick either the cart, the rocket, the lettuce, or the banana. I take the, well, the cart, clearly. The cart, okay. <laughs> C-A-R-T. Okay, you have the numbers three, four, seven, and eight. Pick one. Eight is... Like I take eight because everyone usually picks seven, right? Well, so I learned from my team that actually that means I got to do another round. So it's like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, 
Eight. Okay, now you have one, two, five, and six. Okay, I go with one. Okay. Question number one is, let's go here. Oh, what design book are you currently reading? And maybe if it's not a design book, but it's design adjacent or interesting, it might be good to know what, what are you reading? Yeah, I'm, uh, I mean, I'm reading a book co uh, called uh, Crafting Interpreters, which is about designing programming languages, which is actually also design, um, but, but oh, probably doesn't qualify. Um, uh, which, de which design book am I reading? Nah, I'm not, I'm not, not, not reading one, sadly, right now. Um, okay. But what is that, what is that designing technologies book? Like, what is, what is that uh, uh, crafting interpreters is uh, it's 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 such a book that got recommended by one of our internal teams. So it's working with Ruby VM. I, I find programming language design to be like a fascinating part because again, it's exactly at this intersection. Like I, I like I I'm it, I'm insanely excited about everything that uh, gets more out of technology to power human minds, like uh, or human uh, like journeys. Shopify is literally that. Um, and uh, so, so I, but like I have a subplot of like, I find just programming language design to be fascinating because, uh, so, so uh, like I, I just want, like I, I've built some myself, like including Liquid, which powers Shopify. So uh, every once a couple of years, I get back to this topic. And uh, that book is just kind of neat because it discusses the pros and cons and, and gets at it with a little bit more of um, computer science rigor than I have because I'm, I, I, I never studied computer science. So yeah, um, nice. Okay, that's one for our UX audience to maybe go look and see if we're interested in. <laughs> like so often what the way we bring our own, especially our, like the technology world is, was right to reject status quo because of where we, like it's just computers were so net new that we kind of had to reinvent everything, but we now understand them so well that we actually really have to go back through time and learn from the grades in all the different disciplines right like because every discipline ultimately is like this like long quest which discovers a set of like a very few universal truths that then just come back in in this new and novel ways and like sometimes it's just faster to just because the grades in these other fields actually told us what they discovered in their books or biographies and um uh it, it just it's it, it's just a good life hack to just you know, uh, go to them, figure out what their field um, uh, had for a set of problems, figure out how they solved it, and then see if it applies. Yeah, this is kind of how I use uh, Asimov books, because there's probably <laughs> a bunch of stuff in there as well. Um, Toby, thank you so, so much for this conversation. This has been really good fun and interesting for our audience to hear about your perspectives on UX. And yeah, I'm excited to see what other stuff we can do at Shopify that'll keep folks interested in uh, in us and our mission. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Please, uh, it's a it's a really fun company. We're building awesome stuff, and uh, um, it's it's a it's a us. fantastic place to spend a, a couple of years surrounded by amazing people like Lola and team, um, yeah. and uh, um, working on really really thing, um, important things that just help um, you know that. You, you help millions of uh, small businesses reach for independence and uh, sometimes make huge, huge, huge contributions to their local economies and uh, yeah. uh, all these kind of things. So it's, it's a good place and we really value this work and have sometimes interesting conversations and sometimes uninteresting conversations as you, as you just... Uh, <laughs> this was definitely uh, an interesting one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Christopher Alexander. 
It's the uh, okay. uh, name, name of the author. I'll send you, I'll send you uh, the name oh, of the Oh, yes. Book. We'll get the book link in. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Inside Shopify UX. Check out more from our team or find out how to join us by visiting ux.shopify.com. Inside Shopify UX is hosted by me, Lolao Yelayo Pearson. Produced by Jen Shaw. Assisted by Isabel Hamel-Karassi. Edited by Michael Busser. With art and graphics by Alicia Giroux. Danny Chavez-Ackerman. And Trevor Slovani. Music by Silent Quiet Spaces. Make sure you're subscribed to Inside Shopify UX for next week, where we'll be finding flexibility in complexity.